grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. Hope you're having a great day. I know it's mo- it's Monday for everybody, isn't it? It feels like Monday. Anyway, welcome. Welcome, welcome. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. And you can find us at CaliforniaHaunts.org or, better yet, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com because that's the website for this show. I've got a great guest for you tonight, and I think you're going to enjoy the show. Now, if you're watching from YouTube, there's a little ghost down in the bottom left-hand corner with a uh, magnifying glass and a Sherlock Holmes hat on, and that's the way to subscribe. So if you like what you see tonight, uh, or you get on that, or you get over to YouTube and you see all the rest of our, our videos that we've done, then uh, subscribe, because we have a lot of stuff over there. Okay? So that's, that's all I ask. Subscribe. Anyway, my guest tonight, Matthew Alper has a unique view on really how we look at God and you know different deities. So I'm going to let him explain it all. Uh, so here we go. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now it's all now it's all phone. Yeah, I don't know what that was, man. <laughs> it's kind of creepy. I I have no idea what that what that was. Well, all the ghosts and gods that I don't believe in have come back to haunt me. <laughs> I guess so. It's a sign, right? <laughs> so tell me about you, sir. I don't know. What would you like to know? Ask and I will tell. Well, let's hear your background so everybody knows what your background is with all this. Oh, I'm just a guy who's done a lot of thinking and studying science and philosophy and came up with a theory. And uh, I took off a few years of my life. I wrote a, I wrote a book. I have no credentials in neuroscience, so it was an uphill battle. I self-published my book. Um, I got to turn my volume off. I was hearing an echo. Um, <laughs> and so I self-published this book. I opened Rogue Press. I, I published The God Part of the Brain, A Scientific Interpretation of Human Spirituality. Uh, it was universally rejected for my lack of credentials in the neurosciences so again mm-hmm. i self-published someone said you need to market it you need to get on radio they gave me a phone number i said all right i'll fax a press release i have nothing to lose i faxed the press release half an hour later i get a call from a man with like the most elegant voice i'd ever heard it was art dell i'm guessing you're probably wow. familiar the great god of radio yes and um and he invited me on to coast to coast am with them and i was only supposed to be on for 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 half an hour we had a great chat it went through the night and i ended up becoming a regular on his show and then the book started selling like a lot and i started getting letters from scientists from important neuroscientists from nobel prize winners and pulitzer prize winners and doctors from around the world specialists in the brain basically saying I had cracked something new open and then my book sold and then it went into multiple languages. And then I found myself writing more and lecturing in this field. 
I've, I looked a little bit at your book. It, it's different. I mean, for people that don't have those open minds to this, I mean, especially the people that are, that are, I'm not going to say diehard, but, you know, the religious communities and stuff, I mean, they, they could be taking this stuff wrong. Well, you know, unlike a lot of atheists, and yes, I'm an atheist, um, I wouldn't say I'm an angry atheist. My goal isn't to agitate. My goal is to inform. So uh, I've actually been on all sorts of radio, even on Art Bell. You know, Art Bell, we had completely disparate beliefs about everything from UFOs to spiritual things to the supernatural. But he called my he called my work hauntingly logical. And he, he referred to me as the anti-guest when I would come on because I'd be there to basically <laughs> de debunk and invalidate every other guest he had ever had. Um, and we had a great rapport. Um, but for the most part, even with those who are preaching various beliefs from conservative religious groups to people who are promoting various versions of the supernatural you know, I can have a conversation. I can get along. Like I said, I'm not looking to offend. So, but yeah, I, at the same time, I've also gotten, you know, hate mail. I've gotten some of that, <laughs> you know, you're going to burn in hell, you know, bleep, bleep, right. bleep, bleep kind of emails. But, uh, so, um, so yeah, I don't know anything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me about how you came up with, with this theory. Explain it to me a little bit. Explain, explain it to them. Well, how about maybe should it, would it be best if I explain the theory? Yes. Because then they'll have a clue what, what we're talking about yeah. here. Yeah, let's, let's explain the theory. <clears throat> All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay out the basic precepts of my theory. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to presume that any of your listeners have any particular knowledge, let's say, of basic science and evolutionary theory. So I'm going to fill in a little bit of ground. Okay. So according to basic evolutionary Darwinian theory, if there's a physical trait that's universal to any given species, it means it's genetically conceived. So for instance, it's not an accident that all humans have a nose in the middle of their face. It's written in our DNA. And whether we're talking about the pattern on a monarch butterfly's wings to a cat's whiskers, all species come out a certain way because of this information is stored in the DNA, correct? Right. Okay. So there's there's a guy, Edward O. Wilson, not too long ago passed away. He's the founder of a science called sociobiology. He was the head of zoology at Harvard and considered, he was a two-time Pulitzer Prize winner. <clears throat> he created a theory. It was an extension of that, what I just told you. He basically said that that same principle applies to universal behaviors. So it's not an accident that all cats meow and dogs bark and beavers build dams. They're wired that way. It's written in the DNA. Mm -hmm. They're inherited instincts. Take a kitten away from its mother at birth and raise it by humans. It's still going to grow up to meow. Mm -hmm. okay. okay. So since all behavior is generated from the brain, that would mean that somewhere, for instance, in all cats' brains, there must be a very specific part, what we could call the meow part of its brain, a very specific series of neural connections responsible for generating that particular behavior. So, for instance, in the case of humans, every human culture has language. We could say we're a linguistic animal. 
which would suggest that there must be parts of our brain that generate our linguistic intelligence. Mm -hmm. And with the help of neuroscience, we know about the Wernicke's area, the Broca's area, the angular gyrus, parts of the brain that are specifically related to linguistic intelligence. If you damage one of those parts, you'll suffer what's called the linguistic aphasia, some disability to your capacity to either comprehend or communicate through language. So I applied that concept to the fact that every human culture, no matter how isolated, has believed in some form of a spiritual reality, suggesting that it's an inherited trait, that human beings as a species are genetically predisposed to believe in some form of a transcendental reality. And I write about it as a coping mechanism, an evolutionary adaptation that emerged to help our species survive our unique awareness of death, to basically help us deal with existential, the existential anxiety that we all experience in knowing that we're going to lose ourselves and everyone we love and that there's nothing we can do about it. Whereas all other animals have a fight or flight reflex they can mm -hmm. lean on. We know there's nowhere to run and there's nothing to fight. Game over. We're going to die. Mm -hmm. And the horror that that instilled in us I'm suggesting force the selection of parts of the brain that compel us to see reality through this particular lens that makes us believe in not just God. So, you know, I use God as a metaphor for basically all forms of what I call magical thinking. That's superstition, the universality and things like belief in luck, good luck, bad luck, the supernatural, the paranormal more conventional like deities gods spirits apparitions all of it all of these things that i put under the, the flag of magical thinking i'm suggesting is being generated from parts of our brain that compel us to believe these things because it's comforting it gives us a sense of hope that even mm -hmm. though we know the physical body will perish we believe that there's another component a spirit which is a word that exists in every culture and we believe that this spirit will live beyond physical death. So, so that's the gist of the theory behind the God part of the brain. And now in the years since I've published it, a whole field of science has emerged where they've been putting people in various types of brain scans and studying what happens when people are having a religious experience, a spiritual experience, near-death experiences, why certain cultures have ingested specific plans to induce a religious experience what's the neurochemistry behind it and finding that it's <clears throat> all of our beliefs in things that we believe transcend us mm -hmm. are all coming from within basically the ghost is in our heads not outside of them so so i'm suggesting that none of these things are real there mm -hmm. are no gods there are no ghosts there are no, there is no good luck, bad luck. Uh, all the things people like to believe, all the things that I'm sure a lot of your listeners believe, mm -hmm. what most of Art Bell's listeners and Art Bell himself believe, which is mm -hmm. why I was the anti-guest. <laughs> so, um, so that's the basic premise. So I figured now that we got that out of the way, feel free to ask anything you want. We, you can dissect the heck out of it. Well, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've had friends who, I don't want to say lose hope, 
you know, but it seems like there's friends that don't dream anymore about things. And without that, that dream of hope, we'd, yeah. we'd all be miserable. I mean, we have to have something to look forward to, to slog through uh, our daily lives. Okay, and I agree with that. But I would say what we could do is we could categorize this into two versions of what hope could mean. There's, there's secular hope, and then there's transcendental hope. Transcendental hope is a hope that something beyond is real, something mm -hmm. beyond exists, that we have a spirit and we can hope that when we don't die, that something's waiting, that that's not the final end. But then there's also, for people like myself, there's secular hope. Mm -hmm. There's the hope that my dreams in this world can come true. Right. Maybe not my dream to immortality. You know, that I feel like I have to accept is probably not the case. But obviously I can have any number of dreams, you know, for my own personal vision to create things, to enjoy friendships, to explore the world, to learn. Whatever I decide inspires me, I can have hope that those things are attainable for me. And that's what keeps someone like me moving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, look, one can lose hope in all of the above. Then you're then you're then, you know, then you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and, and I agree with you in that maybe it is pre we're predestined to, to believe in that stuff, because like you say, it goes back to. We are going to die, but some of us want to know there's something else coming beyond that to, to to allow us to die without being terrified of it, you know, without just popping off into blackness. Right. And that, and that's basically what I'm suggesting was the main impetus, because it takes for natural selection to occur. There has to be some environmental pressure that forces that selection. So, for instance... Mm -hmm. In the case of like animals that have a thicker coat of fur, mm -hmm. it was the ice age that was the environmental pressure that forced the selection of a thicker coat of fur through generations of animals so that generations later they had, you know, you had woolly mammoths and wolves as opposed to just dogs who could now withstand the change, the sudden change in the environment. Mm -hmm. They adapted. Mm -hmm. So what I'm suggesting is the environmental pressure that took place within humans that created the force, the selection of this adaptation in our head, this modification was basically self-conscious awareness. And that's part of my theory, too. So basically, you know, when I first was trying to conceive of this idea, I thought to myself, well, what would the origin be? Why would this have evolved in us? So I thought, well, what, what I made a list, like, what are the things that are unique to humans? Mm -hmm. What, what, was, you know, so it was like, well, we're again, as I was saying earlier, we're a linguistic animal. We have spoken language. We're a musical animal. We're a mathematical animal. You know, we have all of these different parts of our brain and our cerebral cortex that other animals don't, which enable us to have all of these different understandings of reality and all of these different intelligences. But one of the intelligences that we have that's unique to us is we have self-conscious awareness. And what I'm suggesting is that self-conscious awareness emerged in, in the early hominids when we were evolving from basically primate to homo sapiens. And what happened was once we evolved self-conscious awareness, it, it was a game changer. <clears throat> because what happened was 
humans suddenly evolve the capacity for self-modification, which means, for instance, whereas other, every other animal on earth, let's say, if an ice age comes, mm -hmm. has to sit back and passively wait generations and generations to develop a thicker coat of fur. Humans can say, because we have self-conscious awareness, we can say, ooh, I'm cold. And I can do something about it because we have the digits to do so. So we can, within an hour, we can sew ourselves a coat of fur. So because of self-conscious awareness, we've actually transcended natural selection. We're, we're done evolving. There's no reason we would need to. Mm -hmm. Because any environment, you know, if we decide, hey, it would be cool to live in the desert or underwater or up in space. We don't have to say, well, I guess we'll wait till we develop lungs in the next two million years, mm -hmm. you know, or, or gills rather, so that mm -hmm. we can explore underwater. We can create technologies that enable us to basically adapt to any environment we want to. So we're done. We don't have to wait for natural selection anymore, mm -hmm. like every other animal on Earth. And it's what's enabled us to transform this planet in such a quick amount of time. And now to the point that we're going to get the chance, the opportunity to kill it. Yeah. But um, so here, this capacity made us the most powerful speed creature on Earth. However, there was a drawback because the minute we became aware that we exist, that we could say the words I am, we also became aware of the fact that, wait, one day I will not be mm -hmm. because we see death around us. We see empirically what happens to our neighbors, our family members, we know death is real. So all of a sudden we become aware of not just that we exist, but the horror of one day we won't. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing we can do to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. I can build the biggest fort. I can hire the most powerful army. They cannot protect me and my loved ones. We are all going to perish. And the existential anxiety that humanity carried with it as a result I mean, I basically believe that existential anxiety is what's going to break us in the end. That, you know, it's made us the dysfunctional animal. It's made us the, neuro the neurotic animal. We're capable of all sorts of hideous acts that no other animal can do from, from self-mutilation to suicide to torture. I mean, we're capable of all, all these sadistic activities that no other, other animals don't do that. It's not efficient to torture another creature. Mm -hmm. Um, but because of the existential anxiety we suffer, I think it made us a dysfunctional animal, basically the broken animal. And now we're just going through like a slow demise. You know, we've been sort of tormenting ourselves for the last however many thousands of years. You know, we look at the history of civilization and it's, it's a lot of horrific stuff in between the little glimmers of hope and people actually being nice to one another. You know, there's a lot, it's a big horror show. And again, you know, now we can see where that's leading us, you know, down, not in, not in a particularly, you know, optimistic path mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned. So, and part of the reason that I believe it's important to understand the origins of our beliefs is because I believe that even though these beliefs that we've been instilled with we're meant to protect us from certain fears. What's happening now is 
it's what what's been happening through history is it's induced tribalistic behaviors, an us and them mentality. Um, this belief system, you're that belief system. Your belief system is an is an affront because you're essentially saying your gods are real, which means mine aren't. Mm -hmm. So the heck with you telling me my gods aren't real. I'll come and kill you, mm -hmm. and then we'll see whose gods are real. And basically, so I believe that part of the mechanism that is responsible for the downfall of humanity is our magical thinking is this tendency to believe in these things and as voltaire said anyone who can get you to believe in absurdities can make you commit atrocities and uh so i felt like hey if what i'm suggesting is real and there's a science behind it which it seems there is then wouldn't it be better if we understood the true nature of realities of our realities and try to approach it in a more productive way? Because if we keep going down the path we've been going, I don't think it's going to lead to a good outcome. It never has in our past. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, so that was that was part of my own motive as well. To offer a message of hope. Absolutely. Question in the chat room is, what do you think of... Um people that have had paranormal experiences right so in a nutshell what i'm suggesting is <clears throat> every experience every perception that we have that we interpret in any magical way the paranormal beliefs again in gods you know, one person sees an apparition and the other sees the ghost of Jesus or Allah mm -hmm. or whatever their belief system is. But they're they're interrelated. They're kind of one in the same. The paranormal. We don't look at it that way. But what I'm what I believe is. what I, again, what I'm suggesting is the way we're wired, we're wired through this need for hope of immortality, of transcendence. We're wired to interpret our realities in a magical way and that includes the paranormal mm -hmm. so my feeling is people who have paranormal experiences are basically putting a spin on reality that's not real or true but that might make them feel better about their reality so they will lean into it and take and, and opt to believe um plus until recently we didn't have access to this new science that's showing us about the brain and that mm -hmm. there are parts that are making us have these kinds of thoughts that we can locate the parts of the brain that are per making us perceive reality this way mm -hmm. so you know as far as i'm concerned now we actually have a tool by which to at least have the option to say is it just happening in our heads or is it real at least maybe there should be a debate behind it my end of the debate is no those things are not real and those people are just believing a version of magical thinking that they feel better believing than in not believing and i know that will make a lot of people angry and think i'm a jerk but you know that's what i promote okay question another question is do you believe people like nostradamus can see in, can see the future right i don't believe that seeing in the future is within the, the realm of possibility for 
the way the brain operates. There is no capacity in the brain. I believe in a very physical brain. Mm-hmm. The brain is an organ. It's not different than the heart or the kidneys that way. There's nothing magical about the brain. The gift of foresight, though, we can imagine such a thing. And it gives us, again, it gives us a sense of hope that maybe there's transcendence in the world if someone can read the future or can look at a person in their eyes and tell them their future, you know, even an individual's future. I don't believe that there are any parts of the human brain that give us access to seeing the in through time beyond our own. And I believe that uh, anyone who says they have that ability either is deluded, they think they can, but they can't, or they're a charlatan trying to sell snake oil because, you know, it kind of can be very lucrative to sell snake oil and tell people that you can read their future or introduce them to the ghost of their deceased mother, etc. There's mm-hmm. money to be made in those fields. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean those people are necessarily looking to tell you the truth. Well, let me ask you this then along that line. Um, when you talk about you know, the, these people that are, that are doing that, could that just possibly be a dream, like a dream mechanism for them? I mean, the, the, you do dream when, when you go to sleep at night. So, I mean, could that possibly be like a waking dream when, when they have those visions? Well, okay. So again, you've got the two groups. You've got the charlatans who know they're making stuff up. And then you've got the true believers. And history has been mixed with, a, with both of those groups. For the true believers who believe their visions, who believe they that God visited them in the desert, whoever their God might be, whether again it was Zeus or Odin or Vishnu, because stories like that are prolific of people's having sightings of their gods Mm -hmm. and they believe they're as real as they believe the hand and the hand that they're holding in front of their face um so did they have their vision as part of a lucid dream maybe did they have it as part of a daydream they drank some tea that they weren't sure of all the ingredients and it took them to a place who knows you know but yes, certainly there are plenty of people who believe their visions. Um, they're not trying to make anything up. They will burn at the cross for their visions. Mm-hmm. They will hang from a crucifix for their visions. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't. But on from my end, no visions are real. They're okay. all manifestations of the way we're wired to perceive reality, which is with this magical bent. Mm-hmm. Again, it goes back to. People want, want, you know, like, like even with what you say are the charlatans, it goes back to people want, wanting that, 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 that hope, you know, that hope that after we die, it's not completely over. There are, there are, you know, people selling hope in all forms and fashions out there in the world. And they're selling cures that they know are not real. You know, so we know these people exist. So... Look, sometimes they're in our own backyards. They're people like Philip Morris telling us stories like cigarettes aren't bad for us. If anything, mm-hmm. they're good for us. Mm-hmm. They're good for your unborn child. Smoke away, <laughs> you know, Right. because people just want to make money. Um, and people want to be deified. I mean, if you're the guy who can talk to gods, I mean, 
heck, I'd, if that was real, I'd want to touch the hem of their dress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, my next question is that obviously you're probably not the only one that thinks this way. So could it be that, like you mentioned, Philip Morris, for instance, could it be that, that there's there's people higher up, even in our social media, that have this that, that think the same way you do, and that's why they're able to target people so well? Well, think the way I do in, in what regard? That and, people can be easily manipulated? Yes. I mean, I'm not looking to manipulate anyone myself. No, I know you're not. I'm just saying that that, that they that they've they, they've come up with a similar conclusion to you about the brain and how, oh, and how look, brains I mean, wired, on. and that's how they're able to do all this. That's look, it's 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 the power of marketing and branding and advertising. All of yeah, absolutely. There's there's a there's a there's a strong science in all of that. You know, there's there's a science in brainwashing. You know, the CIA and the military have books that are thousands of pages long about you know, how to alter another person's mind to your bidding. So, absolutely. And as we talk about the charlatans and stuff, what about people that have UFO encounters? Let's talk about that for a second. How do you sure. feel about that? So, all right. We're now on a slightly different <laughs> field, but I believe similar at the same time for instance i don't believe that a human seeing into the future like a nostradamus is even within the realm of possibility okay. extraterrestrial beings absolutely in the realm of possibility okay however i personally believe that given the expanse of the universe mm -hmm. That it's highly unlikely because the band in the universe of where life could emerge is pretty small and for instance if we if let's just take the closest star to our solar system that's alpha centauri alpha centauri is like 4.2 light years away which i think translates to something like 24 trillion miles and that's the closest star the likelihood that there's life on any of the planets of Alpha Centauri, because also it's a double sun star, is highly unlikely. Mm -hmm. But even let's even go with the benefit of the doubt, saying, yeah, maybe there's even intelligent life there. 24 trillion miles away, 4.2 light years away. Mm -hmm. Even and I'm gonna, even if they were a highly intelligent creature, and they lived, let's say. 10,000 years per generation, mm -hmm. it would still take them like 50 generations of their creature to fly here. Mm -hmm. So the likelihood that 50 generations of some creature have devoted themselves to coming to Earth to burn a circle on, on, a, on someone's cornfield <laughs> and then fly home like, ah, oh, we got them. We showed them like what they're here to pull a prank. Yeah. Or they're here to randomly just come and, you know, sort of hover beam the first redneck, you know, up on their spaceship. And, and then for some reason, always give them anal probes. I don't know. <laughs> I find the likelihood of any narrative behind an alien visitation highly unlikely, very dubious, 
and all of the tales that I've heard told by individuals who claim to have been on those ships, I don't buy it for one second. Okay. But again, all things that I know add to my unpopularity. (laughs) I'm willing to accept accept the fall. You know Um, what? Every paranormal team needs to have someone like you on the team. I've always had guys like you on my teams. Because you're the ones that keep us grounded and in reality. So I try. Yeah. So I mean, I'm open to whatever you have to say. I'm good. You know, it doesn't bother yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, no, I can. Say, no, no, I can tell you're good. It's cool. It, you know. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I've had other guests who were not that cool with the stuff that I had to say. I've been hung up on, disconnected many times. <laughs> I can I've understand. had expletives thrown and then all of a sudden <laughs> blank screen. I'm like, oh, okay. See ya. That didn't go. That didn't go well. Down to where all those Mario's going when he falls off the cliffs, you know. Exactly. Um. So uh, now that the scientists are kind of taking a look at your theories, how does that make you feel? Do you, do you feel vindicated, or 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 is it just something you that that you hope that they continue to study, you know, to, to look into? Um, probably a little of both. I felt that I had dug up enough reliable, valid data that I was pretty convinced that this is what's happening, that this is the case. And honestly, even before they were doing the different brain research, I believe pretty strongly in sociobiology which basically says that if there's a behavior that's universal to any animal, Mm -hmm. it's not an accident. Mm -hmm. And the universality of spiritual belief and religiosity in humans is pretty obvious. So just by studying the anthropology, Mm -hmm. by going throughout human history and looking at every, every nook and cranny on every continent and seeing how universal these beliefs tend to be, I was fairly confident, but yeah, it still is vindicating to have the scientists at this, you know, it it didn't take long, like within five years that I put it out there, stuff started coming up and I was like, yeah. And now, now it's a field of science called neurotheology that people can major in at universities. So, um, but yeah, again, my ultimate hope is I think humans have a better chance at survival if we embrace a more secular understanding of our world. So even let's just take climate change as an example. Okay. You know, the scientists, the secularists, the people who say, we just want to look at the evidence, are pretty much universally concluding the same people who are smart enough to give us computers and the internet and airplanes and jet aircraft and gene therapies and heart transplants are all coming to the same conclusion, which is climate change is real. And if we don't do something about it, we're totally bleep, bleep, bleep. Mm -hmm. So then you've got the other side, which are the people saying, you know, well, science also tells us that you know, the Bible isn't real, that mm-hmm. you, that life evolved, that God didn't put us here in seven days. So the people, for instance, who would like to take a more 
religious approach to how they're going to view the world are saying climate change isn't real. Our understanding of what's happening is more real. And our understanding is whoever that, you know, the liberal elite scientists just want to manipulate us and take away our coal or whatever number of things they're saying. Nobody wants to take away anyone's coal. Nobody's looking to make anyone go hungry. I don't see what the what the gain would be, mm-hmm. you know, unless unless the scientists have lots of stock in solar panels and right. most scientists are poor. They're living off of grants, even if they won a Nobel Prize, you know, at least that comes with a million dollars. But then they but then they put it all toward their research. That's mm-hmm. kind of the goal of it. Um, so, again, you've got the secular approach to how to see the world and look at things and then come up with solutions or the sort of spiritual, religious, magical thinking approach. I don't, for for me, there's no debate. One is, one is, one is the road to hell and one is the, even a slim chance that we could still survive this. So, so to me, it's not just putting forth a theory. It's also putting forth a paradigm of secularism. Um, of us trying to embrace what I believe is a more honest approach to our existences without putting all of our faith in ghosts and goblins and deities and things that throw lightning bolts when they get mad and whatever else, you know. Um, I don't think that's going to help us get anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so really, I mean, as you're talking, and, and I know this is kind of off subject, but the society you're talking about is more like a Star Trek society where everybody's, you know, all science, you know, all scientific, and they look, they're looking at everything really practical, you know, practically. I would say yes, that is that is true. Okay, that is the that is the sci-fi nerd's dream. Yes. Yeah, See, that, that, that's what I'm thinking while you're saying this, you know. Yeah. Now, look, I don't I would hate to see the end of imagination. Uh huh. I mean, imagination's a beautiful thing. Muhammad, Muhammad Ali actually said a beautiful thing. He said, uh, without imagination, man has no wings. I always like that quote. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with encouraging fantasy and imagination. Just don't believe it to the point that you then go jumping off the cliff or pushing your neighbor off a cliff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, otherwise I believe that it is only, only a rational society can survive and survive the elements that we are going to, we are about to be pitted up against. Now, when you talk about these elements, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously the pop, you know, the population of, of this planet, there's going to be the doers that are going to take charge and, and, and do it like you say people are going to do it. Then there's the other ones. So what happens to the other people? Are they going to get left behind or how's that going to work? Well, I'm not sure define doer versus what do you mean exactly? Well, like people like you who think logically like this, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a group of people like you. Who, who organize and say, look, you guys, if we, you know, we, we have to think this way when we're looking at this stuff. But then you've got the other faction of people that are going to be like, well, oh, no, not me. Oh, I'm not going to do that. 
I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe in my God or whatever. So what happens to the ones that are going to not follow you guys? Well, here, unfortunately, we guys are the vast minority. Okay. Yeah, secularists are a very small minority on planet Earth. So, you know, it's we're not really much of a threat. Um, but if, for instance, you know, there was some global meeting and they said, we're going to only, you know, have secular leaders from now on. And only scientists can run different organizations, will be in charge of making the decisions. And believe me, there's plenty of jerky scientists who have their own mental problems mm -hmm. and neuroses, even though they're <laughs> yeah. rational. Yeah, they so do. being emotionally intelligent and rational about your own feelings is a whole other can of worms. But nevertheless, if the scientists were put in charge, generally scientists are utilitarian. Mm -hmm. which is essentially, you know, believe in a principle of seeking the greatest good for the greatest numbers. Of course, you're never going to have, no one can, you can never have a society where everyone is 100% happy. Right. However, you can try to provide the basic needs so that the majority of people are happier than any other form of, of governance. So I think that the scientists, again, because of their logic, that would be what they would be seeking to do, not mm -hmm. isolate certain groups and starve them out or mm -hmm. leave them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but then you get the groups. Okay, yeah. I'm going to go there with this. But you then can go you, wherever. Then you get the groups of people that say they don't want the scientists run, 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 you know, running their lives. They don't want the government involved in their lives. So what happens to you know, you know Listen, people, to me that's absurd. People love having scientists involved in their lives because you know why? Because of scientists, they get to watch TV all day. That's true. Scientists gave them the television. Not not worshiping some shaman or priest. Scientists gave them the TV. Science gave them the freedom of the telephone. Science isn't really looking to impinge on people's existences it's just meaning to make their lives better allow them ways to live longer and healthier so look i don't think there's any scientists would, who would say you have to eat this type of food because we say so but scientists would certainly suggest hey i would avoid eating 10 big macs a day <laughs> so but that doesn't mean you know anyone's looking to legislate that mm -hmm. now again you have what are called paternalistic laws so you know seat belts you know a, a number of things where society has said you know we have to step in because science says this is better for you and you knuckleheads won't listen unless we make it a law mm -hmm. so you know we all we accept versions of paternalism but, you know, I don't think, I think there's a bit of paranoia involved in so many people thinking like, oh, the government's trying to control my life. Mm -hmm. Most of those people, the government doesn't know they exist. You know, the, doesn't, doesn't care what they're doing, doesn't know what they're doing, isn't listening in on their phone calls. Okay. You know, if there's whispers around town and they start, word starts getting around that you're looking to buy some explosives, yeah, people might start listening in. True. True. But until that point, 
most most people can't be bothered. No one's looking to tell you what you have to do. They're making hard suggestions on what's in your best interest. So let's, you know, I mean, if we're going to go political, we can talk about, you know, the vaccine and mask mandates, for instance, mm -hmm. a perfect example. Okay. I mean, myself, as someone who believes in the scientific method, uh, I believe that if you told me straight on, if you invited me to a dinner party, and let's say we were in the middle of a wave of COVID and you had your 90 year old immunocompromised mother and father were going to be at your party. Mm -hmm. And I know that because I've gone out to dinners, I've hung out with friends, I've ridden the subway. Maybe, maybe I have it and I don't know. Mm -hmm. Out of respect for you and your family and your loved ones, I would think, hey, even if they said there's a 5% chance that you could kill these people, oh, well, then 95% chance I won't, who cares? Mm -hmm. It's not that big an inconvenience for me to wear the mask to, to, to protect people that you care about when you were kind enough to invite me into your home. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like, sure, do I like masks? No. Do people like condoms? No. But, hey, you know, we... We, we, we make compromises because it, it makes for safer, better living. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I agree with you 100% there, you know. But again, like, I, like I've said, there's always that, that pocket of people that, that, that don't want to do that stuff, you know. And those are the ones that want to rise up and, 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 and stamp their feet and cause those issues. Sure. And, you know, I don't know what to say. You know, look. Yes, what do you do when you live in a diverse society where mm -hmm. people have differing opinions on things? And it's it's an it's an ongoing question. At, at what point do you coerce those who are pushing, let's say, an ignorant mindset that might be dangerous to society? Mm -hmm. At what point do you tell them, uh-uh, you can't go there? So, for instance, let's take free speech, mm -hmm. you know. We all feel, hey, I want to be able to say whatever I want, whenever I want. And why not? Why should the government be able to tell me what and when I can say what I want? And then there's common sense to say, at the same time, the government has decided that if you scream fire in a crowded stadium, that's illegal. Unless there's a fire, of course. Right. You know, but... And why do we decide that? Why do we say, hey, I'm going to tell you what you can and can't say when I feel like, because I feel like it. That's the government taking away your freedoms. But as a, as a society, we have to ask ourselves as a whole, do we believe that that's for our, in our best interests or not? Mm -hmm. And I think most of us would say by common sense, yeah, I don't want to live in a society where every prankster who thinks it's a joke screams fire and then watches the stampede to count how many people he can kill. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you look at, well, what would be the positive outcome? There is none. There's a zero positive outcome. So again, everything needs to be weighed. Absolutely. Now, religion is always a hot button for people. Always. And with what you're suggesting, I mean, people, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if they even buy it from the scientists. Well, 
again, in keeping with what I write about, that we're wired to believe these things. Mm -hmm. I also believe, yes, it's perhaps impossible to try to reason through people's wiring. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, there's always going to be a faction of the human population that will never embrace a rational mindset. And perhaps that will be a cause of enduring conflict that will never be resolved until we basically kill ourselves. And I believe that's, that's highly possible, if not probable. Well, like you say, it's happened a lot of times through history. You know, the empires rise up. They're huge, like, like the Roman Empire. They're gone. The Mayans rise up. They're gone. So every, it's, it's been every empire. Yeah. The only, the only difference is those empires did not have weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. And we do. So to me, it's just like a matter of time, you know, before one of these psychopathic leaders that we keep tending to elect into office decides to push one of those shiny red buttons. It's frightening because if you look at discussions on Twitter, you know, with this Ukrainian thing going on and all that, and you look at stuff that people write, it's frightening. Like when it first started, you know, there were people even saying, well, why don't we just go over there and, and, and start bombing them, you know, to, to, to alleviate all that. And it's like, you're not going to alleviate that. What you're going to cause is, is we're going to have a nuclear thing in the dust and then we're going to end up shooting shoot another nuclear thing back and nobody wins it's just yes it's a very delicate issue which is why right now america is walking a delicate tightrope of mm -hmm. sending some high-powered weapons but at the same time not trying to send things that are so you know powerful that it pushes russia to say hey we're drawing the line here we're dropping a you know a thermonuclear mm -hmm. weapon it's, so it's all a very delicate balance, and Putin is definitely an unbalanced man. Yeah. So, you know, history is up for grabs at the moment. I think it's the people that haven't. I mean, I grew up, but my dad was was in World War Two. My my grandfather was World War One, and I think it's the people that haven't grown up around somebody in the military that say stuff like that, because because they, they they don't quite get the concept. Well, look, it's happen. easy for, you know, everyone to have bluster from, from Twitter, you know? Yeah. As, as Tony Soprano called someone, a, a telephone tough guy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The keyboard warrior, you know, but it's frightening. I mean, the situation, like, like you say right now, the situation that we're in uh, here in the United States is, is really, it's precarious. It's frightening because of what, what could go wrong and you get the wrong person in office and it's going to be ugly. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not optimistic about humans. Mm -hmm. Just so not to depress your audience, I won't even tell you what I think. I've no, already tell told it. I've already said enough depressing things for one night. No, tell us what you think. We're here. That's what we're here for. I'm game. I think humanity has 50 years tops. Wow. I think that. It's, it's all, I, I think that that's probably likely, but I also think that it's it's possible on the far-reaching end that we could have 80 years. 
Um, I think that increasing global crisis and global natural catastrophes, mm -hmm. hurricanes, tsunamis, changes in temperature, rise in sea levels, what's going to do is eventually it's going to cripple the world's economy. Mm -hmm. And the world's economy at this point, while we're trying to balance 8 billion of us and growing, that eventually it's just a matter of time before this very delicate balance of a world economy starts to teeter. And suddenly you have countries where they've got 20, 40, 100 million people going hungry. And there's no way you cannot have war under that circumstance. I mean, people will become savages. So it's going to lead to war and in, 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 in global instability. And the more global instability you have, historically speaking, our tendency is to, uh, is to elect even worse leaders. We're more susceptible to demagogues <coughs> manipulating us. So we'll end up with a whole bunch of sociopaths running the show in the midst of this horrible global crisis. And then someone will just start pushing buttons mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or someone will test someone by pushing one button and the other guys are going to be like, well, that's the red line in the sand and they're going to push more buttons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> No, I can so see that. that that's how I see things going down. I can see that going down. I, I, I can see it going down that way. Very, very touchy situation that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. You know, and it didn't. And, and unless I don't, I know how they're going to even figure this out because everybody's tiptoeing around at each other. You know, trying not to piss off. I don't know, piss off the other side. Essentially, you know, is what they're doing. It's just craziness. So, what's next for you? Um. Well, still writing, still lecturing, still doing my thing. This is what's next. Okay, okay. Mm -hmm. If you were standing on the strip in Las Vegas, and uh, you had four or five other people out there with books similar to yours, but not quite, how would you bring people in to look and study your book? Wait, if, if I were on the strip at Las Vegas, in Las Vegas, and what, what am I trying to do? Get people to read my book? Yeah, get people to read your book. I'd be more likely to walk into a casino and win a million dollars in Vegas <laughs> than to get four people on the strip to want to read the God part of the brain, a scientific interpretation of human spirituality. And honestly, if I were on the strip and someone showed up with that book, I, I'd shove them. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, I've got better things to do. But you know what? I think you'd be surprised, though. I think there's people that are open to this. No, I know there are people that are open to this. It's sold many copies, and it's in many languages. Yeah. But I don't know if the Vegas Strip would be the audience I would that would be the first <laughs> one I'd be reaching out to. <laughs> I think I think someone selling the Bible would be, or Scientology would be, more likely to find an audience on the Strip than I would. <laughs> That's funny, Scientology. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty funny um real quick one last question for you is that um what do you say to people like like like, like when you start talking about this stuff and about you know the, the the religious aspect 
what do you say to people that you know will walk up to you and say, I think you're full of crap? I would say you're you're entitled to your opinion. Okay. I would you know. Not, I'm not looking at I'm not looking at get my nose broken or to have to break someone else's because of the opinion I happen to have. You know, It's not that important to me. I keep walking. Absolutely. I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. I had a my blast. Pleasure. It was great hearing, you know, what you had to say. I'm very open to having you on again sometime, honestly. Sure. You know, uh, because you're, you're, I, you're a lovely host. You ask good questions. You're nice and smart and reasonable and it was all wonderful so yeah we'll do it again sometime all right we'll pick up sounds good thank you very much and you have a good evening okay okay you as well okay bye-bye bye okay well i learned a lot that was great and i hope you guys did too um tomorrow we're shifting gears again tomorrow we're gonna be back in our paranormal thing uh with morgan knudsen and she has been doing studies. She's a paranormal investigator out of Canada. She's been doing studies on donated organs and how people, there's reports of people, which I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know if a little organ, if, if an organ could do this. I'm not a scientist. But uh, there's reports that people with donated organs, who, who have gotten donated organs, get emotional feelings from the organs. So that's something we're going to look at tomorrow. It's, you know, you got to have an open mind again for that show, you know, and I, I'm glad we had this gentleman come on tonight because, you know, it's a different view. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm on my team. We've always got what I call the debunkers on my team, and I always laugh about them. You know, I always, um, I don't make fun of them, but I always laugh when I introduce them. Like if I'm doing a conference or something, I'm, I'm always laughing because I always say, well, you know, here, here we are. We get excited over something and they come over and crap on it. But I mean, that's just, that's, it's what they do and that, that's what you need. You have to have that balance to um to be a paranormal investigator or to do what we do you have to have that balance to look at the light you know the electricity in the house you know is that or the high emf or, or whatever to see if that could be causing paranoia stuff okay again tomorrow night we're gonna have 6 30 p.m our usual time morgan knudsen i hope i'm saying it right it could be knudsen okay you know how i remember names she's going to be on talking about donated organs okay uh, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. <laughs> We're always equal opportunity here at California House Radio. If you're watching from YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. Uh, like I said, like I always try to tell you guys, we get paranormal guests in, but we also get guests like this gentleman. Okay, so we want to we want to change it up a lot because I'm a, I'm a journalist and I just don't like to cover one thing. Boom, there you have that. Visit us at CaliforniaHaunts.org if you think you might have a paranormal problem going on in your home. There's a way that you can email us from there. Or better yet, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. You can get me directly there because I'm usually there more than I am the other site. But I want to thank everybody for coming. And all my loyal listeners, Nancy, Jerry, Susan Klein, Pamela. Uh, who else we got here? I don't want to forget anybody get yelled at. Marisa and uh, Thomas. Thomas was in tonight. Good. Good to see you. But I want to thank you all. Um, you see that ticker running along the bottom? That's because California Haunts does not take any money to to investigate people's homes. So it all comes out of my pocket because I am the owner and operator of the of the team. And we have five investigations lined up, guys. I just want to let that out there. We're going to be starting up on investigations here after our COVID hibernation. We're going to be getting started again, and I'm really excited about that. So, uh, yeah, if you can find it in your heart to help us out a little bit so I can pay the bills and pay for the Internet and pay for everything for the show, that would be great. 
It all goes back into equipment. It all goes back into equipment for the team. So that would be at paypal.me at California Haunts, or better yet, Venmo, if you don't like PayPal, and just type in California Haunts. If you have a TikTok account, find us on TikTok. It's California Haunts on TikTok. And uh, I think you'll like what we have, because what I'm doing is I'm taking snippets of these shows and putting them on there, as well as doing other stuff. So thank you guys again for coming. And I'm going to put his contact information up for you guys, along with where to get his book, if you feel so inclined. Let me get this going. And here we go. The God Part of the Brain is the book by Matthew Elper. Oh my God, I hit the wrong thing, you guys. I'm sorry. I don't know why I did that. All right, there we go. Website. God, I'm so sorry about that. Website, godpart.com. I don't know why it went in a different order. It uploaded to, like opposite from what it should have. So that's, yeah. And then the book is the God part of the brain. I was waiting for it to change and it wouldn't change. Uh, so, so the night ends as it started, right? And that's available at amazon.com for anybody that's interested in reading that. Finally. <laughs> oh my. So again, the night ends like it started. I had, he, I had helium coming through the sound, and then, and then the thing uploaded weird. Anyway, I'll see you guys tomorrow, and uh, looking forward to it. All right, see ya. Have a good night.